This segment of the Bystander Podcast is brought to you by Eagle Harbor Insurance. We don't sell insurance, we help people buy it. This has always been their motto and continues. They understand every family has different insurance needs, be it coverage or premiums. No two cases are the same, and they will always do their best to guide you into the proper coverage to fit your budget. They are here to help anytime. Give them a call at 206 206- 842-7410 or contact them online at eagleharborinsurance.com Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206-451-4220. I'm Maria Metzler, the Executive Director of Helpline House. The global pandemic has affected us all differently. If you or your neighbors need food assistance, mental health counseling, rental assistance, or parks and rec vouchers, please reach out. Helpline House can help in many ways. Find us on the web at helplinehouse.org. It's what we do. Neighbor helping neighbor. Additional support comes from Sound Reaper Graphics at soundrepro.com. Their phone number is 206-780-9678. Go to them for all your printing needs. Support also comes from Island Hoops Basketball and more. You can catch them on Facebook, SoccerGoalShelter.com. Soccer Goal Shelter's new product, the Slim Shade, is the most efficient and economical sports team shelter on the market today. It is lightweight, compact, and assembles with ease by one person in less than two minutes. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. your host with the most, Tiny Tim. What's cracking, Podcastville? You found the Bystander Podcast. Today, my guest is a board game inventor, a radio host, and a filmmaker, Dominic, don't kill me if I butcher your last name. It's all right. Campisi? Sure. It's Campisi. It was Campisi off the boat. I uh, changed it to Campisi, yeah, so... Like Either that. way, I'll respond to. Um, Stonechild's ex-wife had said it in an interview, and uh, you know I didn't do the due diligence of Siri and Google to hear it. But uh, <laughs> is that an <laughs> Italian last name? It is. Yeah. Nice. My son's Vincenzo, and he's uh, part Italian. My wife's nice. Very cool. Welcome to the show. I appreciate you coming on. I'm really excited to talk about the creative endeavors that you're doing and. 
you know, it's coming up on a one year anniversary of Stone Child Chief Sticks death slash murder, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. Here just outside beautiful Bainbridge in the Polesbo community, which is just over the bridge off the island. Uh, July 3rd, there's a fireworks demonstration. And unfortunately, this Native American was shot by police. You have done a short documentary on it. You have a podcast coming out about it. Mm -hmm. Initially, what are your feelings and what drew you to this topic? And how did you get involved? Well, I was at the event in 2019 where it happened. And yeah. I kind of saw, I was like a, a hundred yards away from the incident. And I kind of saw the aftermath and was just really struck by um, how cavalier everyone was about it. They were kind of indifferent, right? I, it ranged from indifferent to almost celebratory. It was really wow. gross. How so yeah. celebratory? Well, I mean, like, for example, in the body cam audio, you can hear someone saying, good shot, good shot. There was a lot of people that were just trying to film a stone child dying. There was a lot of just callous attitude, like, you know, thank God the cops were here and, you know, took care of that as quickly as they did. So now we can move on and watch the fireworks. Yeah, it's crazy that the fireworks even went on afterwards. It really is. Yeah. So, the, the, here, let me give you a little backstory. I'm not big on the backstory, but I, like you, sought out public records. Uh huh. And a thousand pieces of public records came back and over a hundred videos. It kind of tells you about our iPhone society of filming things just kind of like George Floyd too. You know, how do you put down the phone and at what point do you step in yourself? Um, can you help? Or is it more important to document these things when they're going on? Or are you looking for some social media awe moment, you know, right. mm -hmm. but while I was going through the research for the project that I wanted to do, I came across what you did very excellently is deciphering that. Uh, paperwork, thousand documents, all the videos, mm -hmm. putting together a very straightforward narrative on what happened that day. Um, how proud are, are you of that work? Uh, I, I've I seen your other work. You do a lot of good, great things. Yeah, uh, thank you. I think about almost 4,000 people have seen it. And so I guess the fact that it has some reach makes me you know happy i guess that people are paying attention and um you know hopefully that'll result in justice for stony in the end yeah it's you know we start thinking about where society is today compared to almost a year ago from when we we're speaking now mm -hmm how fed up everybody is. And it's almost like people have so much in their newsfeed that they cannot keep up with these situations. Do you feel like the situation is going to get more notoriety uh, coming up on the one year anniversary and with everything going on in society today? 
Well, I would like to think so. I'll say that, but so. you know, I don't know. So the governor just reopened all the cases that were supposed to be investigated uh, under the I-940 HB 1064 laws. That's a and code right there. What does that mean? So um, in 2019, uh, Washington State passed Initiative 940, which basically required an independent investigation for any officer-involved shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, that turned into House Bill 1064, uh, which passed, I believe, in July, a couple of days before Stoney was killed. Yeah, I heard two days prior or something. And um, so the investigation that followed from Stonechild's death um, took Which place. Investigation? You're talking about the. The, the police investigation or? Yeah, the uh, CASER investigation. Okay. So the Kitsap County Incident Response Team. Yes. Led the investigation into Stonechild's death, which was supposedly an independent agency. Um, but they weren't. They, I mean, you know, I don't believe The officer so. that shot him, right? What's that? The investigator worked with the officer that shot Stoney? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that's just one of several things um, that would lead me to believe that it was not independently investigated. And well, when um, Chad Enright, the judge, correct? The uh, Kitsap County prosecutor. Asked to continue the investigation or go further into it. Yeah. That, re- that revealed some more things that were very inaccurate in the descriptions by the police. I mean, yeah, yes. Witness testimony in general is not great. It's nonsense, Uh, right? Police witness testimony is pretty bad, oftentimes. It's all pre-written is what I guess I could describe it as. It's all kind of cookie cutter, really. And... um, you know, this lawyer that the police guild in Polsbo uses is the same. She represents a lot of police unions around Washington. And I, I, I don't have any direct evidence, but it reads cookie cutter. Right. Um, tell me some of the, well, tell some of our listeners here what, what you saw as inaccuracies in um, the police depositions and how the initial report was changed by lawyers and that lawyer was able to keep that report and then how the prosecutor came out, asked for more and how each police officer that was involved seemed to have an inaccurate moment in their witness testimony. Yeah. Is my camera on or is it not? Mm -hmm. Nobody flinched when I shot him. I think it was something that was said. Yeah. It seemed like a, a bad, tragic comedy of errors. In what the it, testimony only. Yeah. I mean, what it seemed like to me is a, a cover-up. The investigation was trying to downplay all the officers' actions um, as standard procedure 
they were setting up the case for the officer to be exonerated, essentially. So instead of a homicide investigation where you would investigate, you know, the perpetrator of the crime, this case, they investigated the victim of the crime and, you know, prepared all this material to present to the prosecutor to prove the innocence of the officer, to prove that he was just, you know, doing his job. Are you familiar with how the stature of law reads about protecting police in incidences like this? It seems like it's now changing as we speak, where the protection for police officers is not, you know, the golden ticket in shootings any longer. Um, yeah, it changed a little bit um, after the passage of I-940, I believe. But now, I mean, Prosecutor Enright referred to it um, in his decision. Uh, It's the good faith standard that an officer needs to prove um, to justify the use of deadly force. But when you look at it, it's really difficult. I mean, I don't know how you would charge an officer with murder in any event, really. I can't. Well, what about dereliction of duty or um, nothing? I mean, it's any if it's any reasonable officer believes that a felony has been committed, then essentially there. Let's let's start breaking this down a little bit because um, here on Bainbridge Island, I I think of myself as Bi Batman a little bit. And yeah. I'm in people's business and I want to know what's going on. Yeah. It, um, when each one of these officers had a different viewpoint, whether it be taser, don't draw yeah. a weapon or actively pursue him and shoot him. Yeah. So there was three different mindsets and there was a bit of confusion on talking. Um, yeah, there was four officers involved. I want to play a little bit of audio, if you could bear with me here. Sure. It's not yours, but it's the two minutes and 30 seconds or whatever prior to the shooting where they're talking to Stoney and dabbing him up and calling him by his first name. Like, they are well known between the officers and Stonechild. Hey, Stonechild. Hey, man. Hey, can you come over here and talk to us? stop it right there fifth time they heard something about it he's standing right next to the group of officers in the park where families are on their blanket with their kids right around 9 30 waiting for the fireworks display to go off something that traditionally he did with his family lots of times these officers are aware that there may have been 
multiple complaints, which is, I think, important because 911 call and how they dealt with that, it seemed like it was very matter-of-factly in the moment somebody's responding to a one-off type thing. But in this audio, these guys are dabbing him up, talking to him right before it happened. I think they could have de-escalated this right here in this situation. People are just pointing you out, okay? Yeah, no. So I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying you're out here doing People. anything wrong and whatnot, I'm but... I'm, I'm the, I don't know. Everybody left you alone, too, that's the thing. People are coming up to us and they're like, hey, we're concerned about that guy right there. Okay? Yeah. I need about the big rock. Right here, police are milling around with people around Stonechild. Officer's got full eye contact on him the entire time right now. Got the fireworks going off around. Sorry, I'm not intelligent enough to put this in our window so you can see this as it's going. But I, I think this is part of some of the research you did anyway. Seems pretty calm. Nobody's screaming about Stoney chasing him with a screwdriver. Just tell the victim to stay there. Now they get the complaint. They're basically Wait. 20 feet away from Stoney. Get your hand out of your pocket. Hey, chill out, chill out. Hey! Get on the What do you feel when you hear that? Which, I mean, which part? Um, basically that they had their eyes on him. They had a bead on him. Yeah. Yeah, they had talked to him a few times during the day. Uh, three, if I'm not mistaken. Well, two and then the, the final incident. So uh, maybe that police officer exaggerated when he said five times. Uh, well, I mean, he said they got five complaints, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's why um, we don't fact check on the bystander here. <laughs> <laughs> Professionals like you. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm try. I try to give everyone the benefit of the doubt, right? And I want to make sure everything is correct. But goodwill is hard. At you. the same time, I don't feel like the law enforcement is playing by that same standard. I Do think you- they they want to get what they want to get and that's it i really think they thought no one would pay attention and no one would look at this case and it would just go away yeah i I know it's hard to put yourself in somebody else's mindset to think what the officers were thinking in this moment Mm -hmm. but outwardly why do you think there's not enough momentum behind justice for stoney right now Everyone's focused on current events and not anything that happened last year. Yeah, but this was current at one point, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and less than a year away. Well, the, you know, the investigation takes three months. They have to go back and reinvestigate. That took another three months. Coronavirus hits and the, com- the prosecutor comes out with his decision. 
you know, quietly on a Friday afternoon and people kind of forget. And, you know, you see the things that are happening now and, you know, not to minimize Stonechild, but it usurps his uh, position there as latest outrage. Mm-hmm. What do you say when people say, don't bring a screwdriver to a gunfight? he had culpability in in his own death um sorry what are people saying some people say don't bring a screwdriver to a gunfight yeah and i'm meaning don't pop off like that if you don't think that there's going to be repercussions um i guess if the penalty for carrying a screwdriver is getting shot then i think we need to look at our priorities and what it means to be safe, I guess. Right. So I think that's what sh- stuck out to me the most. There's four officers there, correct? Yep. He, they are all in Kevlar, all armed with both tasers and pistoles, and he has a screwdriver. They all pled fear for their life defense. How fearful should they be in that situation? Um. So it is my opinion that they are the ones that exacerbated the situation because at the time Stonechild is just standing there and then all of a sudden four people who do not identify themselves as police run up on him and grab his hands. And if you take the totality of his day in context, I think he was afraid something like this might happen, we'll say. So, you know, he was... One of the things that bothers me the most is Officer Officer Keller's statement that this, quote, attack was completely unprovoked, which is right. not true. He provoked the entire thing. Um, I'm going to be opinionated here and I don't like to be opinionated on the bystander, but it seemed like he was the aggressor, Officer Keller. Yes. Officer Killer Keller, as we've tagged him in the Kitsap County now, um, who's back on his job, apparently. Uh, He was, and then he got removed again because of their internal investigation. So he's not currently... So your documentary piece... Mm-hmm. And uh, with help of the cams on on officers and, and such, show me exactly that there was miscommunication. His back was turned to the officers. They're only about 20 feet away. Officer grabs him, his arm, spins him around. He's like, chill out, chill out. Two shots to the body. One to the face, one to the chest. Yes. And it's like, he did not have, but, Less than two seconds to respond to a mixed message signal. Right. And the officers did not say they were officers. Mm -hmm. So it could be any random person coming up from behind and grabbing you and spinning you around. So you really don't know. Then put him in an altered state with liquor or whatever. That's a moment that I feel like he didn't have a chance to concede. And the audio that I just played. It was basically two minutes before the situation happened. So it was like, 
you know what the situation is. You could have asked him to remove himself or confiscated the screwdriver if you had heard, like they said, five multiple complaints. This guy lost his life. And then you document so well in your documentary what little de-escalation and life skills these officers had really gone through in totality towards dealing with a situation like this. Of course, this is uncommon, but it seemed like Keller had some underlining fears himself, a self-bias type thing. Would that be a fair statement? Uh, I can't really say what was in his mind, but my research has led me to believe that he would get angry often and um you know he will say he wasn't the best de-escalator of situations how do you see police force um training going in the future i think are 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 police academies going to start taking these mental health issues like we have in seattle these de-escalation problems are they going to take that for granted for granted, like they have been, and say, hey, if you got a GED and you can shoot well on the range, go ahead and have a badge, here you go. Or are are their standards going to improve? I don't know. I hope they do. But um, like they, they take, um, you know, bias training, uh, like, you know, anti-bias training, and they take use of force training and de-escalation techniques. But, um, you know, they don't always do the things they're supposed to do. Well, and you also pointed out, is, did he take a 30-minute CPR um, class or did he you know, right. spend weeks learning de-escalation techniques? And I think, I don't know what the class was, but the officer had spent 30 minutes on it. Yeah, there was one class that was 30 minutes. There was another class that was an hour and there was another one that was either one or two hours. But uh, I mean his total training time was, you know, in the neighborhood of 700 hours. So, I mean, that's a pretty okay. small percentage of what he was trained in to, to do. Right. And had officer Keller been involved in, um, shooting his pistol in previous situations? That, uh, remains to be seen. I have public records requests in for his, any use of force complaints and, um, any internal investigations with him and the other three officers. And uh, it's, I can't tell if they're stonewalling me for providing those or if they're waiting until after they make a decision on Officer Keller or if it just takes four months to produce that kind of stuff. I don't know, man. I, I get some records in a week and these records took me five months. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to tell, really. Yeah. Well, um, Stone Child Chief Stick was um, a member of a tribe in Montana, and he had children out here in the Suquamish tribe, mm-hmm. 39 years old. He's buried here on Bainbridge Island. Um, Friday, July 3rd, I think it's a Friday, there's going to be a march in his name. Um, going to the site where it happened and people are asked to bring a screwdriver with them. How do you think that decision is going to go? 
Um, yeah. I can see, I mean, people are really mad, right? There's, there's been essentially zero movement in their eyes on this case a year later. Um, and go fund me for the kids too. Yeah. Multiple children. And it's been a pitiful response. And, you know, you can put uh black lives matter sign in your yard, or you can be Jeff Bezos and put, the sign on top of the new key arena to pledge, you know, a green level of whatever. But, mm-hmm. you know, how about putting that money towards actually green lessening emissions and towards stone child as children, their education fund, stuff like that. Um, people definitely are selective of what causes they rally behind. You know? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, this is one of those cases that people look at and say, hey, he had a screwdriver, you know, it's open and shut. Officers were scared, that's it. But I mean, you have to, I think, look at these objectively and, you know, to say, hey, he didn't have enough time to respond. Or hey, the officer is the one who caused this situation. You know, at the very least, maybe he shouldn't be an officer. You know, at the very least, maybe they should say someone lost their life and we need to learn from this so other people don't lose their lives. It's a teachable moment, for sure. Absolutely. And I think they are coming, you know, law enforcement is coming at it from the angle of we're right, nothing went wrong, sweep it under the rug. It's another body. Yeah, what has happened to journalism? You know, there's... Very few investigations follow up. I mean, we now report on the president on what he tweets. Yeah. We very rarely go there and and ask and have an in-depth conversation like we're having now. Um, I mean, some people are out there doing the work, you know. Yeah, Um, you are. It costs money. And, you know, I am lucky enough to be able to dedicate some time to this. Um, But, you know, it's... People don't want to pay for news stories, right? They don't want to, they don't buy subscriptions anymore because everything's free. So there's no money in it. Yeah. Support your local journalists, please, people. Um, how do you feel, just from a gut feeling, how the other officers responded around Keller? Um, you were there. Inf- how, how close did you look at it when it happened? Oh, I didn't see the event. I was like a hundred yards away. And you stayed. I walked, oh yeah, I walked through the crowd after it, and that was when. Did you stayed like, for the fireworks. Uh, well, I mean, we were on a boat, so we were uh, gotcha. anchored out there, and we we stayed the night. Um, sorry, that was your experience. I mean, it was messed up. It was totally messed up. I get you. But I think I'm hoping ultimately there will be justice. The governor. And the attorney general are inclined, are leaning that way anyway. Well, Jay Ansley's our neighbor here on the island. Maybe I'll uh, try to get in his ear. And see yeah, when you bump into him there. Yeah, he, he he doesn't spend much time here anymore. He's giving those press conferences in Olympia every day. He's got a lot uh, on his plate. He does. He's got a lot of haters too, and it's it's tough too because you can't please everybody, and. Uh, He's putting himself out there pretty transparently. Well, 
there's a lot of people that blindly trust law enforcement. Yeah. And so anything that's against law enforcement, they automatically feel attacked. And, uh, you know, I tried to come at this with a critical eye with, you know, my mind open either way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the facts point to police brutality. Uh, what do you think about what's going on down at Chop and Chaz? Which Chop part? Chaz, take your pick. Which part? Um, well, just the overall part of it. I mean, I've, I've been there and I also was streaming it live for with six cameras for a few days. And after the initial protest, it seemed like it became a homeless encampment, a lot of alcohol abuse, fights, late night gunplay, and the message started to lose something. And then the mayor seemed to politicize it in a way where she didn't really have an end game to it. How do you feel things are going there? And do you think it's a, it's an honest protest still? Well, yeah, I, I also went there um, about a week and a half ago. And I thought the um, East Precinct was a powerful symbol that they yeah. you know, painted over that it's the People's Precinct. Um, also, the memorial for uh, people that were killed by the police was pretty powerful as well. Mm-hmm. The vibe there was pretty intense like uh it was shortly after all the um the protests went down and so it felt pretty raw really the emotions um i thought it was a powerful symbol and um you know you have a lot of people without a leader essentially and so everyone gets their own idea of what should be the path forward and you know, I guess this is what happens. Right. To me, yeah. It's it's refreshing and exciting in one aspect, but it's sad in, in others where there's still so much divisiveness and violence. And then, you know, I was working at Garfield for a long time, and that's just down the road. Seattle U had a lot of friends that went there. And the park being kind of destroyed is a little upsetting, but the protests are accumulation of so many years of trouble and so many things going on. I don't know if the nation can be captured without a protest of this magnitude at this time. So I think, I mean, how about this for an analogy? (laughs) It feels like a microcosm of what a police shooting is, right? Everyone's very critical and analytical of the victims in this case, who in my mind are the protesters. And they say, well, oh, if you don't, if you do this, you you know, you set up shop, it better be peaceful. And, uh, you know, there better be no laws broken. And how can you do this and that and this and that? But then still, the police are out there lying to the public, tear gassing people, killing people. And it's like, you know, we give them a pass for what reason? I don't know. So, like, if we can not talk about how people are dealing with the fallout from this and start talking about police accountability, I think that would be a better tack. 
That's very well said, Dominic. It really is. What What is the future of the East Precinct and the Seattle Police Department? And how can we merge what the community wants and address the issues that Seattle has, such as homelessness and, and mental health issues, and having enough community centers and all these things, and, and have you know a public discourse where we can be contributors to the operations that we help fund. Yeah, and I just want to be clear that this is not just a Seattle problem, obviously. Polsbo has this problem. Uh, Bainbridge Island has this problem. And you see it all over the United States that the police are out of control and are not held accountable for their actions. Absolutely. And I think, you know, transparency and laws that say that, hey, just that you are wearing a badge and if you have the same criminal behavior, you know, you're culpable for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You need to be held to that stand. You need to be held to that standard. Do you think we have dirty judges? <laughs> dirty judges? Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, probably. There are, you know, there's a few, the judge who just told that girl that got raped that she should close, should have closed her legs. So, I mean, he got removed from the bench. So that's a dirty judge. So I would say, yeah, you know, I don't, I mean, that's kind of a a big question. (laughs) A little general here. Hey, um. I'm going to play some stuff about Stone Child here a little later in, in the episode, but I want to talk about some more of the stuff that you're, you're doing. What is this um, radio show that you do? And the topic's COVID. And what have you found out by doing yeah. that? Um, well, so once um, lockdown started, I had been thinking of 9-11 after 9-11, there was like three days where NPR would just put, you know, have people call in and play, um, you know, their thoughts on the experience and how they were handling the situation, what they were thinking about of the future. And I was like, very comforted by that at the time. And so when this happened, I was like, oh, this is like exactly, you know, this is an on the same level, basically, as 9-11, where this, this global pandemic, it's killing, uh, you know, now it's over 100,000 Americans. And uh, I just wanted people to have an outlet for talking about, you know, how it felt for them, what they were doing, how they're coping, etc. Are you still doing that format? Um, the show still exists, but uh, my last week was last week. Okay. And is there an archive of that show at all? Yeah, there is. It's um it's on Mixcloud and it's also on the KBFG Seattle.org website. Okay. KBFG is on 107.3. Your show was nine to eleven in the morning? Uh-huh. Okay. Yep, nine to eleven on Saturday morning and then uh replayed on Tuesday at ten to noon and Thursday two to four. Okay. Podcastville, check that out. Uh you a big football fan? Yeah. Yeah, I saw some of your tapes. I, that must be fun to edit that stuff and get that out there. Yeah. That's and did you live in Buffalo? Gig. Uh, yeah, I was, I was born and raised in Western New York. 
And so I lived in Buffalo for a little while and, uh, you know, visited. Who's your favorite there. Bills player? Currently? Ever. Ever. Bruce. Bruce Smith. Yeah. Number 78. Big, big smile, too. Yeah. Great player. Beast. I wonder yeah. how big he was back then compared to a player now. Um, probably triple the size, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, because like my dad's favorite player was, uh, well, he had two. Fred Dreyer, who was uh-huh. on that cop show, and Merlin Olson, who was on Little House on the Prairie. Okay, nice. Two big fans, but like Fred Dreyer was uh, a guard. That's when he played or impossible. something. Like 180 <laughs> to 220, I think, is when his playing career was between college and, and pros. Uh, Joey Hunt, if you're familiar, he was yeah, like the, the Seahawks. Hunt. Yeah, backup center. He is a very, very small person. And if you see him like next to like DJ Fluker, for example, you're like, one of these dudes doesn't play football, right? On the offensive line. But Joey's our starter. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> What's with the long hair with baseball players and football players now? And especially football, you can grab the hair. Yeah, yeah. The dreads were in for a long time. Long dreads. Yeah, Marshawn lost a couple. <laughs> yeah. Hey, are you a practicing uh, Muay, Muay Thai guy? I am, yeah. Yeah, what, what got you into that? Um, oh, I don't know exactly. But I did, I went to uh, like UFC 84 or something in mm-hmm. Vegas. And it was uh, just a great show. And uh, I came back and started Muay Thai. As an adult? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, this was like 12 years ago, maybe, I guess. Yeah, I'm still adulti- adulting or being adultish. Slightly, yeah. So, at 53. Um, I love this uh, reality check, check um, game of privilege that you made. So, people, if you don't know, Dom has a board game, Kickstarter fund of basically the anti-white privilege game, correct? How how would you describe it? It is a game of privilege. Uh, So, the way it works is you get dealt um, a hand that is one, uh, one race, gender, sexuality, and class. And you have to complete the life achievements of each of those um, to win the game. That's that's the short the short version. But uh, a lot of things get in the way, like um, privilege and um, righteous actions. Um, it, it it mimics life, and it's supposed to give the players a peek inside what it's like to be, you know, one of these this set of uh, circumstances. I'm going to play this uh, commercial for your game real quick. All right. Um, I'm going to check myself out to use the restroom real quick. But um, when I come back, I want to know how this evolved. Game of Privilege, a board game about privilege and systemic oppression. This week is your upper class. Like, you're already, you're ahead of me. Hey, up. Reality Check is a modern take on classic games like Life and Monopoly, injected with a bit of humor and a whole lot of cold, hard reality. Uh-oh, y'all. We got a board wall. It brings people together in a fun, face-to-face setting that prompts meaningful conversations 
and exposes them to the concept of privilege. When your desire to win trumps what you know is right, and that's where I think privilege comes in. I don't have to use my privilege, but I'm going to use it because I'm going to get ahead. I don't think I've ever thought about it in that way before. I really love this game. So fun. <laughs> Watching people try to negotiate between each other to get their life achievements was actually kind of funny. This game helped me realize a little bit more about my own privilege. That's something that this game excels at is making tough conversations about inequality approachable. I didn't want to stop playing because I, I just wanted to see what the next card is. I can say we loved it. This is a way that you interactively understand someone else's lens. did a good job of just opening my eyes and making me more thoughtful to those around me. In the game, each player takes on four identities called circumstances. Race, sexuality, gender, and class. This white man, but pansexual, so I'm interesting. <laughs> to win, players move around the board attempting to complete their life. Just got hip to pansexuality. Adopting a child, Shit's buying great. a truck, or having a threesome. Meanwhile, the game will constantly check your privilege with cards that reflect real-world events, like getting pulled over by the police, good guy with a gun, and being caught in a predatory lending scam. Help others or fight the power with righteous action cards, like universal basic income, white guilt, or blackface scam, and collect woke tokens to enter into a state of wokeness and advance around the board towards your goals. If I trust Chris, yes, but I trust money a little bit. And you're a criminal, so no one trusts you. Don't miss this exceptionally American adventure of reality check, the game of privilege. Yes. An actual board game with adult themes for two to six players available on Kickstarter. Awesome, man. You got some good friends. It's a good video. <laughs> Gameofprivilege.com for anyone who wants to buy a copy. Yes, go get it. Uh, <laughs> I think my wife bought it last night online. So. Oh, really? Awesome. Thank yeah, you. She, she was saying that you need to have a... And of course, she she's always trying to better everything, right? Sure. You need a, you need a family family version so kids can understand what uh, privilege means. Well, we tried, there were a lot of, we talked to a lot of schools actually about how to, you know, broach these subjects and they were pretty open to all the things that we had in the game. So, I mean, you know, it, yeah, race up to you when you want to teach your kids, like the stuff is happening, whether you like saying the words or not. So. Yeah. Yeah, We're open. We, yeah, yeah. We talk about it all, and yeah. uh, there's no dumb ideas. Just some stupid people. <laughs> yeah, but I lo- I love it though. I mean, you, you represent a great diversity. I think. Yeah, I mean, we really tried to capture the experience of all these different, you know, races and classes and uh, sexualities and genders. Yeah, well, awesome, awesome on on that, and great job, and. I'll be uh, playing this with my friends as soon as the COVID is over. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's it's fun. I got to say, it is a fun game. Awesome. What? Okay, so how did this idea evolve? I love it, but tell me how one day you're sitting there going, the world needs this game. <laughs> uh, sort of. Uh, a friend of mine and I were just kind of brainstorming for like a year basically and 
eventually it kind of it turned into this game. We wanted to like make a game, I guess, that kind of explored these topics of what it meant to be privileged. And um, yeah, we were just like brainstorming and messing around. And I honestly didn't think it was going to go anywhere. But then once we got the prototype and people started playing it, they were like, this is actually really good, really fun to play. And uh, they were excited about it. So, you know, we kept going and now we have the board game. How's that process ever even work or come up in your mind? Had you built a game or do you play a lot of board games? or? No. Really social and saw a need. My, uh, you know, my friend and I were both very reflective, I guess. Uh, And so we, you know, at the time it was, everyone was talking about like white privilege. So we were really like exploring that within ourselves. And after like the 2016 election, basically, we were trying to figure out a way to get people to feel empathy and so so people don't even know that word until they're like 30 or 40 (laughs) it's tough i will admit it is tough but um i mean what if you're doing it in game form you know and it's like an unassuming way that you can approach these topics with like family and friends say yeah you ever play humanity uh cards of humanity or whatever Cards against humanity uh yeah i've played that is this your game better? I think our game inspires more empathetic um, conversations, conversations than Cards yeah. Against Humanity. Cards Against Humanity is like the Howard Stern of yeah, yeah. board game, card games, I guess. I guess he's getting in trouble right now because he uh, mimicked the Ted Danson blackface when Ted Danson was on with Whoopi Goldberg and did that blackface. Remember that? Uh, I don't, but... That was horrible. You know. It doesn't surprise me, I guess. Okay. Um, I was wondering if I can play your documentary on the out of this podcast. Um, sure. And how can people get a hold of the podcast that you're producing regarding Stone Child Chiefstick? Yeah. So um, the clip you're going to play is just a synopsis of the my findings of the investigation it's actually really only some of the findings of my investigation there will be more that i will talk about in the podcast which is called stonechildpodcast.com um yeah it'll be a seven episode series that goes from beginning to end of the incident to where we're at today essentially where justice lies in this whole case I like these true crime podcasts. They're becoming very popular. And especially when they're like eight to 12 episode arcs um, or seven in this case, I should say. This yeah. Is, this is a magic number. I'll just go right there. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. I mean, like bonus past the half dozen. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure that there was a definite end to it. So, cause it's an enormous undertaking. Yeah. Um, that's why I bailed and had you on today <laughs> because sifting through this stuff and I did a lot of it in quarantine um, when I was taking care of my mom and, and not living at home and it was overwhelming to me and trying to formulate a story that was concise and factual with no opinion put into it was yeah. really difficult for me. So I'm really glad that I've found you. I've met you. I 
can't endorse your movie and podcast more. I think it's a, it's a righteous path. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you prosper from reality check. <laughs> I don't know about prosper, but uh, if we make our money back, that'll be good. Um, I think my last question is how many hours do you think you've devoted to justice for Stony? Oh man. A lot. I, I don't know. I told somebody about 2000 hours the other day that might be a little low, but um, yeah, a lot, a lot of time, but I mean, hopefully if justice is served, that'll be worth it. It's all worth it. Hey, it's worth it. You do great work. Keep up what you're doing. I'm proud of you. I respect you. I look forward to seeing more things that you're doing and uh, talking to you more often. Great. Thanks. All right. You've been listening to Bystander. Everybody be kind. Dom, take care. And I look forward to a conversation face-to-face and a bike ride around beautiful Bainbridge Island and some lunch with you soon. That sounds great. Thanks for having me on. All right. And you're about to listen to Stone Child Chief Stick, a shine box film by my man Dom. Thanks, bud. Just seven death investigations. In only one of these cases was an arrest made. Detective Kleinfelder summarized the incident with Officer Keller fired his duty weapon. Typical homicide case involves an attempt to find evidence of a suspect's guilt. This investigation, however, was geared toward a finding of innocence or self-defense for fellow officers. To do this, Detective Kleinfelder focused the case-cert investigation on the victim, Stonechild Chiefstick. This is apparent in how Detective Kleinfelder addresses the parties involved. The suspect in this case, Officer Keller, referred to as an unnamed Paulsville police officer, or Officer Keller. Instead of using the word victim, Chiefstick is referred to by his first name, Stonechild. Included in the case file was a history of Chiefstick's involvement in other criminal cases, such as an old shoplifting charge. And Chiefstick's movements throughout the day were exhaustively detailed. Investigators spent an entire day looking through security footage from a nearby Walmart, where Chiefstick had been hours before the incident. There has been no investigation of the suspect, Officer Keller's movements, on the day of the shooting. Almost two weeks after the incident, Officers Lam and Sangil, along with their attorney, presented written statements. They were asked clarifying questions by Detective Kleinfelder. With legal guidance, the officer's statements were edited and resubmitted. Kleinfelder allowed the officer's lawyer to keep the original statements, thereby removing them from the record. Detective Wheeler provided his statement to Detective Kleinfelder two days later. The two detectives had worked together for a number of years with the Kitsap County Sheriff's Office. Current Washington law states conflicts of interest like this one must be recorded as part of the investigation. After two months of inactivity, Detective Kleinfelder bolstered the defense. She included several articles referencing unrelated incidents of screwdriver assault in Washington State. There is no indication Officer Keller had knowledge of these incidents on July 3, 2019. Detective Kleinfelder also referenced an academic paper by a South Carolina law professor that initially downplays the value of body-worn cameras, though he ultimately concluded that body-worn cameras in some cases may provide information that simply isn't available otherwise. Officer Keller's body cam fell off his vest during first contact with the victim. The body cam was an Axon Body 2 type camera. Officer Keller routinely used the magnet mount, 
which he had been wearing during the incident on July 3rd, 2019. There have been other reports of these cameras falling off during physical altercations, most notably an incident within the Paulsbo Police Department. In 2018, a Paulsbo police officer attempted to arrest a suspect. His body camera was knocked off during the struggle. That officer was the same officer, Craig Keller. Using the information the body cam did capture, it is clear the three officer statements have inaccuracies. Officer Sangill stated he gave commands that were not captured on video. Hand out of your pocket. Hey, chill out, chill out. <laughs> Detective Wheeler and Officer Sangill heard multiple loud, clear verbal commands, though again, none were captured on video. Reserve Officer Lom stated he did not take out his taser. However, the footage clearly shows him removing his taser from its holster. All three officers recited the standard, I feared for my life defense. However, their actions and statements give a more accurate assessment of the situation. Officer Sangil drew his taser. Officer Lom did not draw his pistol because of the proximity of many citizens around us. And Detective Wheeler says citizens didn't even react. The body cam does show that Officer Keller, instead of maintaining a safe distance, rushed Chief Stick while shouting a single command, amongst other conflicting commands, and one second later, fired two shots. In November of 2018, nearly five months after the incident, the investigation was presented to Kitsap County Prosecutor Chad Enright. After reviewing the case files, he decided more investigation was warranted. Further investigation revealed there was one other officer wearing a body camera at the time, Officer David Lom. It has been confirmed he did not activate his camera on the day of the shooting. During the initial investigation, Detective Kleinfelder wrote, a review of police contacts with Chief Stick did not show any prior history between them before the night of July 3rd, 2019. However, further investigation revealed Officer Keller had on at least one occasion run Chief Stick's name through the system. According to the case files, there has been no further investigation into this incident. Officer Keller, through his attorney, offered a brief statement claiming, the actions of Mr. Chiefstick were totally unprovoked. The incident on July 3, 2019, was a tragic combination of miscommunication and poor training. The officers knew Chiefstick was carrying a screwdriver. Apparently, the original... Uh Traffic was a male that was pulling a screw, pulled a screwdriver on several subjects. Yet there was no discussion of tactics on how to approach Chief Stick. They simply charged in. There was confusion on where the incident was transpiring. Although they were in uniform, the officers never identified themselves as police. Chief Stick was not looking at them at the time they grabbed his arms. Officers never gave clear commands. There were multiple officers shouting conflicting instructions. Chief Stick had less than two seconds to comply with Officer Keller's commands. Chief Stick was handcuffed for approximately 20 minutes while EMTs attempted CPR. Records from 2009 to 2019 state that Officer Keller completed a total of 30 minutes of training in preventing biased policing. CSO Sam Gill, Reserve Officer Lom, and Detective Wheeler gauge the situation differently. This is evident by them drawing their tasers 
or in Detective Wheeler's case, not drawing a weapon at all. At every turn, Officer Keller escalated the situation, from surprising the victim, to going hands-on at initial contact, to drawing his firearm, charging Chief Stick, and firing the fatal shots. On a Friday morning nearly nine months after the incident, Kitsap County Prosecutor Chad Enright quietly closed the books on the investigation, declining to file charges in this case. The next Wednesday, Officer Keller went back to work with the Palsbo PD. Pet owners assume the meat used for pet food is a good thing. But did you know it makes use of the scraps that humans would never eat? The problematic aspect of the pet food industry is the rendered animal material, animal parts that the Food and Drug Administration considers unsafe for human consumption. This rendered meat falls under the four Ds. The food is sourced from animals classified as dead, down, dying, or diseased. And since you're likely feeding your dog the same thing every day, your pet is being exposed to this unhealthy food at every meal. The ingredients used in today's dog foods would shock most pet owners. The Clean Label Project is an organization that tested pet food to find out what's really in it. The group analyzed 80 brands and discovered dangerous amounts of toxic chemicals like lead and mercury. And if you're feeding your dog an animal-based diet, your puppy is ingesting the hormones and antibiotics that farm animals are injected with too not to mention the bacteria, parasites, and growth hormones that have been associated with raising livestock. Although using decomposed animal tissue for pet food is a violation of the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetics Act, the FDA Center for Veterinary Medicine publicly admits that it's rarely enforced. Popular pet website Dog Food Advisor has reported over 180 dog food recalls since 2009, and the major recalls were related to bacterial contaminants for meat sources. There is no way to truly verify what is in these pet foods. There are currently nine terms used to classify meat, three of which do not need to disclose the animal species it's sourced from. Your dog could easily be eating diseased goat or pig flesh. A research team at Chapman University analyzed 52 commercial pet foods in 2015 and found that 40% of the products tested contain mislabeled meat products. The FDA states that pet foods labeled as premium or gourmet do not need to contain higher quality ingredients either. Well, what can you feed your pet then? Dogs can thrive on a plant-based diet thanks to fermented fungi protein like yeast and koji. Koji is a fungus that has been used in Asian cultures for centuries, and it's known for its prebiotic health benefits. Humans use it to make soy sauce, miso, and rice vinegar. Cruelty-free pet food company Wild Earth is fermenting koji and yeast protein in a sustainable three-day process and turning it into dog food that contains all 10 essential amino acids needed for your dog's health. Dogs don't need to consume unnaturally large-bred animals to get the nutrients they need. Yeast protein provides 49% protein by weight, whereas steak only provides 24%. And fungi's low-carbon footprint makes it better for the earth, too. Your pet counts on you to make the best choice when it comes to food. Make it the right choice.